Good morning. Welcome to Yonkson Baptist Church English Sunday School class for 23 April 2023. Interesting. We are going through the book of Joshua. We finished up chapter 10 last week. And this week we will dive into chapter 11. And we'll look at Canaan, Lessons on the Conquest. So the first little blank there on your... On your sheet is the conquest of the land, and this is from Joshua 11 and 12. The book of Joshua divides up rather simply. The first 12 chapters describes the conquest of Canaan, and chapters 13 through 21 recount the division of the land among the tribes of Israel. As we pick up here today in chapter 11, remember that the strategy was to conquer central Canaan, dividing the land in half and then conquer the southern region, and then the northern region, respectfully, or respectively. Chapters, chapter 10, verse 29, through the end of chapter 11, is a summary of the conquest that's in that first 11 chapters, and chapter 12 is a list of the names of the 33 defeated kings. 33 is a pretty significant number, but today we'll look at the conquest. We're going to read chapter 11. It's only 23 verses. Already? Already. Let's go. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things that he sent to Joab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Aksaf, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and of the plains south of Chinneroth, and in the valley, and in the borders of Dor on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and to the Amorite, and to the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite in the mountains, and to the Hivite under Hermon in the land of Mizpeh. And they went out, and they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore, a multitude with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Meron to fight against Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hawk their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joseph came, Joshua came, not Joseph, and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Meron suddenly, and they fell upon them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them unto great Sidon, and unto um, Misrephothamayim, and unto the valley of Mizpah eastward, and they smote them until they left them none remaining. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. He hawked their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua at that time turned back and took Hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword, for Hazor before time was the head of all those kingdoms. And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was not any left to breathe, and he burned Hazor with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword, and he utterly destroyed them as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded. But as for the cities that stood still in their strength, Israel burned none of them, said Hazor only. That did Joshua burn. And all the spoil of these cities and the cattle and the children Israel took for a prey unto themselves, but every man they smote with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, neither left they any to breathe. As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He let left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hills in the south country, and all the land of Goshen, and the valley and the plain, and the mountain of Israel, and the valley of the same, even from the Mount Halak that goeth up to Seir, even unto Balgad, in the valley of Lebanon, 
under Mount Hermon, and all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. Verse 18 is key there. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites that inhabit the, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle, for it was the, of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, and from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, and Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. Great summary. Two main lessons that can be learned from these chapters, and I'm also going to show some maps here in a minute to give you an idea of um, what we were just talking about. The two main lessons that can be learned from these chapters is that the Lord gave the victory. The Lord gave the victory. And then the second lesson is that Joshua obeyed the Lord and then utterly destroyed the enemy. So it's very, it's very, big, very important to key in on these points that it is the Lord who gives the victory when we obey. Amen? When Pastor preached on this chapter a while back, he showed how the conquest was successful, not because of what Israel did, but because of what Israel did not do. Israel did not shirk their responsibility to act. He said they didn't, they didn't practice Calvinism, meaning that they, they didn't believe that God would do everything and that they had no responsibility to do anything. But they also, so they didn't shirk their responsibility to act. They did not take shortcuts to victory. They did not make peace with the wrong things, and they did not ignore the giants. I'll say that one more time. Israel did not shirk their responsibilities to act. They did not take shortcuts to victory. They did not make peace with the wrong things, and they did not ignore the giants. And we see all of that here in chapter 11. It's also important to note that though the conquest of the land is summarized in only a dozen chapters of Scripture, it was not a short campaign. Chapter 11, verse 18 reads that Joshua waged war a long time with all these kings. This was in accordance with the word of God. If you look at Exodus chapter 23... Exodus chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. <coughs> this is a key tenet of Bible study is to compare Scripture with Scripture. Amen? So, <clears throat> backing up to what God had told Moses, then Moses had told Joshua, and Joshua did, as we read there in chapter 11. So, Exodus 23, verses 29 and 30 read, I will not, this is God speaking, drive them out from before thee in one year lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. Verse 30, By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. So God had a plan that he gave the inhabitants of that land something like a thousand years to, to repent and to, to stop being evil. But they got so evil that God, when the Israelites were in Egypt, said the fullness of their sin has overcome and they must be destroyed. So he sends Israel into Canaan 
because he didn't send them earlier than their 400 years in captivity because their, the fullness of their sin was not yet complete. Once it was, once he, they, he'd given them as much time as could possibly be given them, and no one was turning their heart to God, now their fate was sealed, and they were going to be driven out of the land. And the very land, the Bible says, was groaning because of their sin. So Israel is coming in to take it, but he's not going to let them just sweep through the land in one year and kill everybody because then nobody is planting crops, nobody's turning soil, nobody's caring for the, the animals, and then it turns into a desolate wasteland. And Israel is always on the brink of desolation anyway. They're a very dry, arid country that they have to work really hard to be able to cultivate and to grow any crops in. And so it requires somebody to do that. So then God had this perfect plan of, yes, the Canaanites are going to be destroyed. Yes, you are going to inherit the land, but it will take time and it will be a lot of work. And that's the better way because then they're, they're keeping the land for you until you're increased enough to be able to inherit it. Because they, yeah, they had, what is it, almost two million people that came out of of Egypt, but that's not their their numbers went up and down as they were going through the wilderness wanderings. And in order to inhabit that whole land, they needed to leave people to run the cities and care for the animals and care for the, the crops where they went through and took a city. You can't just take it now everybody's loyal to you and your whole band moves on. Well they're just gonna go right back to what they were doing, right? So you have to be able to leave people to keep those those cities that you take and that dwindles and dwindles, so you have to also be increasing your numbers. People have to be, children have to be getting older and becoming a fighting age, so that your, your fighting numbers continue to either maintain or increase as you still leave people behind to maintain those cities. So God had a perfect plan, and Joshua waging war a long time was in accordance with that plan. One more note about this passage is that you, and you might have seen this in your own reading, you might have underlined it or put a question mark there, someone else might have called it out, but there's what is referred to as an apparent contradiction between chapter 11, verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto, the, unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested from war. The concept there of the whole land, and then in 13, verse 1, Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. So then a lot of people try to draw attention to, look, look, right here, this is only 25 verses apart, where he says he took the whole land, but then there, there remaineth much land still to be possessed. That's an easy answer. It is not a contradiction. There are no contradictions in the Bible. Amen? There are no contradictions in the Bible. You just need a little bit more study. Between these two verses... The confusion can be dispelled by one realization. Israel didn't take every single city one by one. They conquered enough of the key cities to break the power base that was there and to control the land. And then once they, but they still had a lot of work to do to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. So they went through and conquered all of the kings of the areas, like we just read in chapter 11, that the king of Hazor was the king of a broad area of Israel. Um, I have a Bible atlas here that we can pass around. <coughs> so then you can see on page 41 that when Israel was camped in Gilgal, and then they came 25 miles overnight uphill 
to Gibeon to fight here. Then they chased those five kings through Beth Heron and then down past the Valley of Ajalon, where the moon stood still for Joshua, into the area of Zorah and Beth Shemesh to Azekah and Makeda. Okay, Makeda down here. Once they killed all the kings in the cave in Makeda, then they conquered the rest of the key cities of the land to Libna, to Lachish, to Eglon, to Hebron, to Debir, and then they went back to their camp at Gilgal. These were the key stronghold cities where there was a leader so that they could break the power base. But it didn't mean they went and conquered every single city and killed every single person. They, had, they, they conquered the southern region, and then they were going to move north on the next page for another campaign as they come back up to Merom, where all of these black lines converged, right? So the king in Hazor, here, was king of even people way down here in Dor, right? So he was a leader of all of these folks that were coming from all of these regions together at Merom. They were going to go south to fight Israel, but Israel met them instead in their own place and then conquered them all there and then went and burned Hazor, okay? So you can see that there is a spread out concept and what, what Israel was doing, this battle strategy, wasn't that they were conquering every single one and they had conquered every single one in the land rested from war. They were land rested from war because people in these small cities who were being told what to do by one guy were now being told what to do by another guy. But they would, according to God's plan, they were supposed to be conquered. They were supposed to be killed. And Israel was supposed to be, you can pass that around if you want to look at it, um, Israel was supposed to be taking their inheritance, but what Joshua did in leading the people to conquer the East, to, to take that power base, is there's no contradiction here. The individual tribes would still have to do a lot of work to drive everyone out of the area they were going to inherit, and that was going to be a delegated responsibility by God's plan. Okay, I hope you see how all of this, just in this one little chapter, um, again, 12, we're not going to read through chapter 12 because it just lists out the kings that they, that they beat. And again, 33 of them. But I hope you see how this has practical application for our lives as New Testament believers. God is ready and able to redeem lost souls. Amen? And to call them out of the world of sin, like he called his people out of Egypt, and into a promised inheritance which they could never earn. That is our testimony, called out of a world of sin into a promised inheritance that we could never earn. But that's only the beginning, because from the moment we're saved, we must wage a lifelong war against our flesh. And it's only God who can grant the initial victory, as the Lord granted the victory, as we said here in chapters 10 and 11, it's only, the, it's only God who can give that initial victory through Christ Jesus. We can't get there on our own. We cannot pull, pull ourselves out of the world of sin. We cannot drag ourselves into a, the land of inheritance. We cannot climb a ladder to heaven. There's nothing we can do to get that victory over our flesh and over our sin and over the world. But Christ Jesus did and can. And we can only destroy the enemy of our old nature that we war against our entire lives, our old fleshly nature, by consistently obeying God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we saw there, the two lessons from this passage is the Lord gives the victory. It wasn't Israel that got it. But Joshua obeyed the Lord and utterly destroyed the enemy. 
And so we must see that God gives us the victory, and it is up to us to obey the Lord God and to constantly be searching the scriptures daily, to be praying daily, and to be seeking ways to fill ourselves with the Spirit and not submit to the lusts of the flesh. So, great application there for, from, for us from a spiritual perspective. We've got ten more minutes. We can start the next half. So, Roman numeral two, when we get into Joshua chapter 13, this is now the division of the inheritance. The division of the inheritance. And as I read there, uh, now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. This is still true today, by the way. <laughs> Foreshadowing. This is the land that yet remaineth all the borders of the Philistines, all Geshurai, from Sihor, which is before Egypt, even unto the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanite, five lords of the Philistines, the Gazathites, and the Ashtathites, Escalonites, or Escalonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, the Avites, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mireah, Miara, and this is beside the Sidonians and the Aphek to the borders of the Amorites and the land of the Gibeon, of Giblites and all Lebanon toward the sun rising from Baal God unto under Mount Hamon unto the entering into Hamath all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon unto Misroth Maim and all the Sidonians come on guys them will I drive out from before the children of Israel only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance as I have commanded thee okay we'll stop right there inheritance um, Joshua fulfilled the first part of the commission in conquering the land that was Joshua's command from Moses from God and he led the people to conquer the land right that was the first part of his commission now he had finished the second part of his commission and that's the dividing of the inheritance Inheritance is a very important word in this book, and it's mentioned 50 times in the nine chapters between, verse, or between chapter 13 and chapter 21. Israel, and this is very key, and this is why God gave us these, these chapters um, and why the word inheritance is mentioned so many times. Israel did not purchase the land as a business transaction. They did not win the land as spoil of war. The Lord was the sole owner of that land, and he chose to take it from the people who were misusing it and give it to the people that he chose. Leviticus 25, 23, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. The land is owned by God. And it is given as an inheritance to his people, Israel. That's why, unlike every other place in the world, Israel is the rightful inhabitant of that land because it is their inheritance from God. It's not because they went back and fought a war and took it from somebody. It's not about the, the six-day war in Jordan and what they took of the West Bank and all that. None of that matters. The land as described here, which includes half of Jordan, and half of Lebanon, right, and parts of the Sinai Peninsula, and even beyond the, the, the other parts of the Red Sea. There's a lot more to what God's inheritance for Israel was than what it is today in the modern um, uh, state of Israel. But that is not the land of man. That land belongs to God. 
Jehovah God was the landlord, and the rent that he required was worship and obedience to his law. The Canaanites refused both of those rent um, uh, requirements, and so they were excised from the land. They were just utterly destroyed. And Israel, when they began to stop paying rent to God and worshiping and obeying his law, as you can read right in the next book of the Bible is Judges, and you can see that every man did what was right in his own eyes. That within one generation of Joshua's death, everything fell apart. Okay? When the nation of Israel agreed to the blessings and the cursings at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, a couple of chapters ago, they entered into, into what is known as the Palestinian Covenant. So they were entering into a covenant about that land and that their inhabitants of their inheritance is directly tied to their obedience to the law of God and their worship of the one true holy God. I know this might seem like we're glossing over a lot of scripture going from 13 to 21, but I want to see the dividing of the inheritance as one passage, right? It's one smooth thought. Most of the time when you read through the Bible, you're breaking it up into chapters. The chapters are not preserved or inspired the way that the scripture itself is, right? Uh, the chapters were there for convenience, for searching, and for referencing, right? Um, but a lot of times in the Bible, if you, if, you, if you are a student of the Bible, you will see a lot of times that the actual thought or the actual subject transitions beyond chapters. Just, we just had one right there where we started reading chapter 11, um, but actually the thought starts in um, chapter 10, verse 29, and goes all the way through chapter 11. So, there are seven main lessons that I want to bring up that we can learn from chapters 13 through 21. And we're, we're going to have some more maps to show this. Um, a lot of points to give about them. So I don't know that I want to jump off into those seven points yet. It seems like that's a very smooth place to stop. And then we can pick up there next week. Um, again, this is... Uh, this is, it's, it's going to seem like a lot going from chapter 13 to 21. And if you have a chance this week, read chapters 13 through 21. See if you can make any notes about any things that jump out to you. Maybe you can guess some of the seven lessons that are there. Um, or you can see them yourself, and then we can talk about them again next week. But the, this, we'll go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll stop there, and hopefully be able to finish. Maybe I still have several more pages. We're only, only two in. Two pages in. Yeah, that's going to be good. <laughs> there's, there's so much. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, let's pray, and we'll get to the uh, maybe questions afterward and then into the service.